Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the southernmost point adorned to the lands of always winter, what is west of west and the shadows in the east, this is Casterly Talk and a live recording again of the podcast, episode 57. And I am so happy to be joined today by one of the mainstays around here, the gentleman who named this fine show. Please welcome back to the show, Lon Harris. Hey, hey. Hey, great to be back great. from my house into Casterly Talk. It's great to be good here. to be here uh, with you, sir. Taco, I'm sure might make an appearance. Oh, um, probably. He's great. Yeah, uh, and uh, look, we appreciate all of you watching live here on YouTube. This is a audio. Uh, this is a recording of our audio podcast, but why not put it live on YouTube? Everyone's kind of uh, you know doing it these days. Um, yeah, and so bear with us if there's any hiccups. Uh, everyone in the world is either streaming or on the internet. So I know uh, Lon and I have both experienced dropouts even today, getting ready for the show or in the past. So please uh, bear with us if something should happen. Lon Harris, um, I guess we should always do the the check in on you, you and Taco's mental health. How's everything going over there in House Harris? <laughs> Uh, we're, we're doing, we're doing all right. You know, uh, it's great to have, uh, a, a quarantine buddy. I, I live alone, so it would probably be very lonely without someone. I, I recommend if you are living alone, uh, you know, foster a shelter dog, adopt a shelter there dog. You go. Perfect time to do that. And, uh, it's nice that it's an excuse to go out every once in a while and take a walk. Right. Uh, it's someone to talk to. So I don't feel like I'm just talking to myself like a crazy person. Oh, it's been yeah. nice. Oh, the conversations with animals have been key to Grace and I's mental health as well. I mean, let's be honest, yeah. we're, we're always going to be talking to the dogs, but now it takes on even much more importance. Um, yeah, it's, I'm glad the neighbors know that I have a dog, because otherwise it would just sound like all day me just talk, having conversations, singing to myself. You know. <laughs> there goes Uncle Lon singing to you himself, know, making tea. Don't worry about Lon. He's, he's saying, you know, from three to four, he always likes to sing. <laughs> That's what he does. Uh, Lon Harris and I here to talk about uh, everything in the world of uh, ice and fire. We got some of my people watching, like a Cinefan saying, woohoo, another live casterly talk. Uh, we got Eddie in there. Eddie's got a big question about Plot holes we'll try to get to here. Kristen McGee is very happy to see uh, uh, Lon here. And also, Kristen McGee says, I think my dog is sick of me. Um, that, you know, that might be a little problem down the line, too. The dog's like, could you go outside, take yourself for a walk? Yeah, they're used to alone time during the day. And this is like, we're throwing off their whole schedule as well. 
So yeah, no, there are definitely times when like you get that they like they're sleeping and then they kind of do that head pickup and it's like oh you're still here all right yeah. all right all right like, I was gonna root around through your stuff and try to eat the trash but. All right, if you're here, we'll keep napping. I'll play it cool. I'll play it cool. Uh, Zach Anderson uh, is here as well. Says it's been too long since I've heard Lon's beautiful voice. Yes, indeed. The dulcet tones. Yeah, yeah Lon Harris. Uh, so one of the interesting things I want to discuss about you on this episode, uh, discuss with you on this episode, Lon, since last time you've been on um, uh, in, a, in a, you know, a regular capacity, you've started reading the books, and that's that's quite a daunting task. And every time I, I see you at the Schmodown, I check in on you. How And you'd be like, hey, look, man, I, I threw 200 pages of food descriptions, but let's, I'm getting there. Let's be fair. It's not that daunting. I'm being slow. Like, I'm going <laughs> slow. I, I, I also, I found it hard to really focus on, like, a but like I, I, it's not yeah. often during the quarantine where I'm like, let me crack open a tome. I feel like losing myself in great literature. Like, that's not, it's usually more like, oh, there's new Nailed It's on Netflix. Like, I just... <laughs> My brain's just not. I also thought I was going to try to get like writing oh, stuff yeah. done, and like as soon as I wrap up the things I really have to do for the day, all I all I want to do is just kind of yeah. lie on the couch. I want to play a little Animal Crossing, maybe. Oh, I, get, I, yeah. Get your bells. I have. I have I have gotten yeah I've gotten I'm earning my miles and my bells. Uh yeah, love uh, those bells. But you you have uh, you have finished uh, the first book, right? Game of Thrones. I, I, I finally made it through, and I'm and I'm I'm a good I would say almost halfway through Clash of Kings. So I'm, I'm we're 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 progressing. This is the the discussion I've always been excited to have with you because I, I've said before, but when you and I started uh, working together and producing uh, the um, Watch and Thrones over on Screen Junkies Plus, I was just bowled away, not surprised because I knew you enough by then, but just bowled over by the amount of knowledge you had for this world, not just the show, but the world, and you hadn't even touched the books yet, uh, yeah. which to me, I was always like, here's proof you can pay attention to the names on the show and it's not confusing. Lon's deep into this. You, gotta, you do have to watch multiple times, as I've always <laughs> said. The first time through, it's so much, it's too much. You're just trying to follow the drama yeah. and, and the big picture stuff. Uh so this, it was the second viewing through the whole show where I already kind of knew where it was going. So I knew what was going to be important. Right. And I knew like, oh, OK, like like Sir Barristan Selmy is always the example I go back to. Like, okay. you can follow that thread on TV. It's it's there. Right. It's just background. And yeah. Until he's dead, you're not like, oh, I should. I wish I knew that character's journey. <laughs> but then you can go back and follow it. And it is in there. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It really, a lot of that stuff comes out of multiple viewings. Um, well, the sh- yeah. You go read. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, and then you go back to read the book, and there's just like there's just a lot more of that there. Like, yeah. they, it's weird. They add a lot of connecting tissue that gets them out of cutting like whole large groups right. of stories. You know, right? Like, that's so. Like, it, it wasn't. I don't feel like they add stuff a lot just to add. It's like they're clearly like, well, if we add this one scene, it'll cover for these 50 oh, pages. That's 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 a great point. Yeah, I, I especially feel early on that that's yeah, a lot of that stuff is there. Uh, so overall, what's your what's your thought? Finally, diving into these um, books, other than you know, hey, George gave us a great big world. Uh, uh, where yeah. are you at with it? I mean, honestly, it's and I don't mean this in terms of like he's a he's a great writer. I like his prose. It's not a knock on the on the books or the writing, mm-hmm. but it is. I've never done this before where I've gotten to know a world so well from one media and then like gone back. There is I, I do have to sort of like push through it sometimes because there is yeah. sort of a feeling of like I'm so far ahead of the narrators 
you know, like yeah. Bran is telling me this story and I'm like, Oh, Bran, you sweet summer child. <laughs> oh no. It's it, though it is, it is odd to attack it in that way. Yeah. Just because I feel like I'm they're catching up to me rather than the other. It's weird to have somebody tell you a story and you're like, yeah, I know this part. Like I'm constantly in that. Like, uh, okay, yeah, I get it. I, I, I def- it wasn't. Yeah, I get. It wasn't Tyrion's dagger, Peter Baelish. You're lying. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. Of- yeah, um, I I experienced that when I finally had kind of caught up. Because I was show first, and then went into the books, and you know, like you're, and you're like me too. Once we're in, we're in, we're in, and we're looking at maps and every, all that kind of thing. But I remember getting through yeah. like Storm of Swords is probably I'd say my favorite of the books, and it's favorite for a lot of people. I I kind of got bored halfway through because I, I hadn't got to the Red Wedding yet, and I was I was just kind of like, can we get to it? Can we get to it? And then I just oh, I I don't know, just something clicked in. I was like, oh okay, okay. Then then I, I got ahead of the show, and it kind of opened up again. But you're in a different spot. Um, the, the show's done. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean, I know basically where George is thinking the whole thing yeah. ends up from the very from the jump. So like, yeah, yeah literally, I'm reading you know about Waymar Royce and encountering the others. Right. I already know what happens to like the Night King. Like you know, yeah. you know, like it's so yeah. There is it's it's like I said, it's not a criticism. I don't mean it that right. way mm. because obviously this is where it all comes from. But uh. You know, it is a, it is a, I can't help but feel that way as I read. And, and, and you're, and you're picturing the actors, you're hearing the actors and well, that, in, in some cases. That's another thing I was going to talk about. Yeah, is please. That the age differences, I'm basically like, I find myself forgetting about where I'll constantly be like, oh, right. She's only like nine. Cause I'm picturing the actors who were aged up for the show and, and they had to like, that's yeah. You couldn't do the show they did with young actors the ages as described. Could like, you, it wouldn't work at all. Yeah, especially, like, I get, because, like, even Ned is, what, 35 or something, and, I, all right, that tracks, yeah. and you start having kids a lot younger in this world, whatever it is, based on medieval times. I get it, I get it, I get it. But I'm even surprised that, George, some of the dialogue he's given, like, three-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, right. I mean, that's the other thing too is that Bran is like what three at the beginning four it's like you're knocking this four-year-old out of a window like that's it's so different and I know yeah. it's only a span of a few years but when you're that age it's so different to be yeah. you know like a boy but like an eight nine-year-old boy huge versus difference. like a toddler and and, 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 and and Arya, Arya being younger too, and all of them again, all of them being younger. It, 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 and I, again, I get why I get his timeline, but like have like right. a seven year old given like a soliloquy <laughs> in a monologue. I mean, even like Rob Stark going from like fourteen to seventeen is a huge jump, and yeah. the actor playing where like he looks older anyway. Right, like they're supposed to be seventeen, eighteen in the pilot, but yeah. Madden and. Uh, yeah, and Harrington looked older anyway. So well, and, and especially some of the stuff with Danny, Danny being thirteen. I, I imagine it was a pretty right. easy decision at HBO to be like, "Yeah, we're going to make her older." <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, already the like, you know, she falls in love with Cal Drogo is already. It's still awkward in the show. Imagine if she was much younger. It well, would be it changes filmable in that yeah. context. Uh, and again, this again, I'm not. I love these books, so I hope no one's thinking we're knocking it. But just like it, it's hard not because of the show and me being such a fan of Jorah, and and especially the later 
some later stuff in the other books with right, Jorah yeah. and Danny, I'm just like, oh yeah, Jorah, no, 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 man. <laughs> I mean, it's already made December regardless in the TV show, but then it becomes like February December. It's like you gotta yeah. stop this. <laughs> Live comment in the YouTube chat from Donald Long. Yeah, the stuff with the narrators in the books had me like, okay, George, calm down. Yeah, right. Because it's already questionable in the HBO version, and that's them fixing it. That's them going like, whoa, George. All right, we gotta we're. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, any, anything specific, anything that's because uh, I think season one and book one are 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 very easily you know the most similar. I, I think even though the show does depart very early on, much more than yes. people even remember, it, it's the most similar. You, is there anything in the book that you're like ah that could have translated over? Two 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 things that I that were just very different for me, just how they landed on me. Right. Uh, one was. In the book, when John arrives at the wall, uh, my, like, in the show, it sort of feels like, oh, for generations now, they haven't been taking the wall seriously. Like, nobody believes in White Walkers anymore. Nobody believes in Whites anymore. Right. That's why all these castles are sort of abandoned, and it's just kind of criminals now. In the book, it feels like that's more, like, recent. And I'm not sure. I feel like that might be because we're seeing it through john's perspective and so to him it's like the wall is supposed to be like this why is it in shambles now so like i don't know if that's like the show we're seeing this omniscient you know like here's what it's like right and so i feel like that might be the difference just in how we're being told the story but i thought that that was really interesting to me that it felt like they made a decision to make it more like it's yeah. kind of always been this way around the wall for at least a few hundred years at this point. Just yeah. Just stress how the civilization has moved beyond being scared of the North. Uh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree, agree with that, yeah, it's, um, and even again, some of the, um, George just does such a good job playing with the unreliable narrators or, or the right. myths and legends fueling uh, what you think you know in the show, in the story, so yeah, that's kind of apparent. Yeah, there. I did kind of feel like that could just be good character work in terms of establishing John and who he is and he's got this kind of naive you know he goes up to the wall in this kind of naive mindset of they're heroes in the night's watch and uh, right. like it's like a noble thing he doesn't become you know cynical about it until later yeah. um it yeah. took me forever to figure out that robert aaron was robin aaron i kept feeling like is this an older brother are we not <laughs> hearing about him and then they they referenced that his nickname is sweet robin right and i was like oh okay uh, same guy same guy that just changed his name and i feel like they must have done that because they thought we were gonna like in the book he's named after robert baratheon right and I feel like they thought we were going to get mixed up. Like people would talk about Robert and we wouldn't know if they meant Robert Aaron or Robert Baratheon. Yeah. Well, anyway, yeah. weird change took me a while to wrap I, my head around that. I love that because George is unapologetic about those names. And, I, you know, especially in Fire and Blood, I, I love that book. And I'm going to I'm about to maybe start doing a reread or a poke a poke through at some of my favorite parts. Um, but, yeah, even then, I, as I'm reading it, I'm like, George, just give me another another name that starts with I mean, out yeah, an A. Like, <laughs> if you were alive in the Middle Ages, you probably did know a few Roberts. But, uh, yeah. you know, like, uh, I get why they made that change of the show. It was just weird for me. And then the last thing, and this was really, yeah, I think this is the biggest surprise I had or thing that I felt was really different about the first book okay. was uh, Catelyn Stark. Like oh great, the the whole the, the character as conceived, and again, it's it's. I don't mean this is a criticism of either version. Like I get mm-hmm. that they're different, and I think Michelle Ferry yeah. fairly does a 
she's great. Like it's it's a great version of the character. But in the book, her character is like down to play the Game of Thrones, like pretty much from the jump. Like she's yeah. political. She's like encouraging him to go to the capital and like seeing the advantages for the Starks in these moves. Yeah. And in the show, she's 100% just like, no, it's our family and we've got yeah. to protect our family and you shouldn't go and it's dangerous. And and I, I get that, you know, they, in TV, you kind of need to have that conflict, especially in the pilot, yeah. like, there's got to be something that's keeping him from feeling like he just wants to go to King's Landing. That's the dramatic incident. Attention, yeah. But it does feel like it really changes. It shifts that whole character. And, and she does. It feels like she's a little more complex in the books. Yeah, that's a great point. I think that's one one that's not talked about uh, if you've if you've experienced both forms of the story. And yeah, much like you, I understand that there's just a simple through line of family first for Catelyn and everything she's done she does on the show is to protect the family all the way up to the very end to the very end of her life um, um but yeah there's that great it is a great moment because in, in in the show it's like they talk even the producers talk about it, it's devil angel it's maester lewin and and Catelyn on the shoulder of ned kind of like do you right. got to go down and and yeah you forget in the book she's like get down there <laughs> And that's like if you wrote a TV pilot and the big thing was like, you got to come with me to King's Landing. And there wasn't a character being like, don't go. Yeah. That would be the note you'd get back. It's like somebody should say, don't go. And so there's an, an obstacle there. Right. Uh, so I, I get it. Yeah. But it does feel like, you know, the and, and I don't it's not it's not this bad. But like there's a lot of movies that do the, the Anne Heche character from Donnie Brasco. You know, the <laughs> wife whose whole job is to be in the kitchen. Like you're always working. You're missing the kid's childhood. You know, like that. Yes. It's such a trope. And like yeah. they do kind of Callan in some of the early Game of Thrones episodes kind of fills that role instead of being this more robust three-dimensional character that George R. R. Martin was writing. Well, I, I again, uh, to, to not to spend the whole show on this. I love what you're saying because I, I've been, I've changed, I've even publicly kind of apologized to Catelyn Stark, the character on the show because early on, especially in the early days of discussing this stuff online or in media, digital media, where you have to we were a little less careful with our, our words when we were doing our pontificating and punditing. Um, I, I felt it was really tough on Catelyn Stark saying, I, all this is your fault. You did this, you, you idiot. You, you made some mistakes and then yeah. and then to pull back and to say like, that's, that's, that's not fair. This is because, but I I think that goes back to what you're saying about early season one. She's Michelle fairly pleasure so well and brings so much depth to it that I, but I wasn't looking at that. I was looking at the, what you're describing of the, uh, we gotta, we gotta just hunker down in our castle and I'm paraphrasing her entire arc, but you know, and that's, and then, yeah. And that is who she is kind of in the show. You know, it's like the family first and that's your duty is to keep the Stark safe or whatever. And you know, it's just interesting that it's this shift in the, in the book that she's more of like a, not Mac, maybe, maybe a little Machiavellian, but she's yeah. she's thinking three steps ahead in the book, and she's thinking about yeah. not just their personal safety, but you know the esteem of the family, like like everybody else is. I think it's a great point, man. Great observations this is why I want to have this conversation mm-hmm. with you. Any other big revelations or anything that you can recall uh, from the first book? Uh, that's that's what I've got sort of in my notes. Yeah. I mean, it is interesting that uh, you know you think of the the show is so propulsive. I mean, it's yeah. so chock full of narrative that it's nice when you're reading the books that he'll take a digression. Like he's yeah. not George R. R. Martin does not feel like he's like a runaway train of plot <laughs> hurtling towards the finish line, quite like the shows do, especially in the later seasons. Yeah. He feels like 
he's just hanging out in Westeros. And if you want to come along with him, like, let's go for a little ride. It's a great around the the King's road, you know, Um, uh, a a great way to look at it. And I'm, this is where we'll check in in 10 years when you finish the first five books. (laughs) And the George finally, (laughs) yeah, yeah, because he, he does. I always say, especially later on, eh, maybe an editor or two could have stood up to George uh, a little bit later, but uh, I do like how you're describing that. This, this book knows it has no timeline. It has no deadline to get an episode out. And I like that. It has that, it has that feeling of, you know, there's, you know, that there's more to come. Yeah. It's not, it, it doesn't end in a way where it's like, and the Westeros was safe, you know, like, you yeah. know, that it's part of an ongoing series, but it, it doesn't feel like incomplete without the next chapter. It feels yeah. sort of like a window into this world and all of these lives. And there's dramatic stuff happening, but it's not. Yeah. Every day they're only thinking about it. Like some days they're thinking about a delicious eel pie. You know? <laughs> a good many eel pies to be had in the books. A yeah, lot of eel pies and and you said your your good ways into uh, Clash of Kings. Yeah, like a few hundred pages into that one. Sure, <laughs> you know where you be done with another book, but you're only like a third of the way through this one. Yeah, I'm reading them at the pace George is writing them. That's, <laughs> That's fair. That uh, I'd be <laughs> very he's got a new one ready. Yeah, maybe I'll be ready. Uh, we can we can hope. I uh, definitely definitely want to uh, even off air be checking in with you as you as you um, get get farther along in Clash of Kings. I still feel Clash of Kings is a spectacular book, but that the show had that chance to go through and pluck the important things out and make it kind of a better feel a better kind of just smoother story for me but that's that's where it starts to kind of change but again there's some great stuff in that second book i'm like ooh, this is ooh, I'm, i i kind of feel better knowing this and maybe could have seen it but i get why it wasn't happened which is again part of the fun of this i think these two forms of the story can totally exist in separate little sections of our minds but that's where it starts to get really interesting i think with some of george's work yeah i mean it's interesting too in that you know book one really is like very much it's sort of all, except, you know, there's the Daenerys right. chapter. Yeah. But, like, uh, almost everything is sort of just King's Landing, Winterfell, and the road in between. And so, right. you know, like, there, there's a little bit, you get a little bit of Renly going to Highgarden. But, like, suggested, like, described to you, not, yeah. you're not there. Oh, um, and oh so, Renly. Yeah, that's interesting, too. And, that, yeah. you know, you're, you're, like, I have this grander perspective of this whole world, but... The, the readers knew mostly about King's Landing and Winterfell at that point. Uh, yeah, 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 and and yeah. I love to know of Bravos, <laughs> Bravos, uh, and I and I love too looking at the maps in the front of the book how they each book more starts getting added in until you got the complete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. you're, you're broad. I mean, this is mostly Starks talking in this one. Yeah. So, you know, you got nice a little touch. You got to broaden your perspective over time. We are going to jump into a discussion about the show and our last week's live show, which uh, featured uh, Andres Cabrera, Thomas Rizlin. We got a great call from uh, one of our regular listeners, uh, just a, just an out and out contributor to the show at this point. Uh, Eric Monroe, who I believe is watching live, but said he's cooking and listening. So it's good. Uh, last week, he asked us long about our, our favorite, favorite um first scene of every season and i gotta admit on air because i just kind of went ran into it on air i drew a blank on even a couple of seasons it's first of all it's getting to that point lawn where we're all gonna just have to rewatch again because some some details yeah. are fudging in my brain oh yeah for sure i'm i'm probably getting ready for some like obviously before 
any new show or whatever I'll have to do a rewatch. But yeah, yeah I'm already starting to blank out on it's, some stuff or like what what happened, what season is starting to get fuzzy. Whereas you remember when the show first ended, I was like. <laughs> Right on top of oh, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can, you can, um, actually, with the best of them, right after it's all done. Yeah. Um, so, in that spirit, Eric called back, and we're going to play this call right now from our friend uh, Eric Monroe. Uh, the opposite end. What is our favorite final scene? Hey, Kenny Cashley Talk. So, kind of the opposite of the question I asked last week. So, this week, what do you think was the best last final shot to a season, the last scene that we saw? And there's a, a lot of great choices. There's the wall finally coming down and see. Season seven, there's Danny with her whole army finally sailing through Westeros in season six. John lying dying in season five. Um, season two had a great one, you know, Sam seeing the White Walker army. But I have to go with season one. Danny emerging with the dragons by far one of the best scenes of the entire series it was absolutely amazing seeing the dragons seeing you know jordan neal it was just absolutely amazing so what was your favorite final scene to a season all right um lon to help us we kind of before we went there just so you and i don't seem look like we've never watched the show we just kind of made a little list so um here's uh here's the choices that we have for this is the final scenes shots but final sequences of each season season one we got danny getting her dragons emerging from the fire um we got season two the three horns we got that third horn blowing and we got uh, the whites showing up heading toward the first of the uh, fist of the first man season three we end with the misa the big scene there season four aria heading to bravos uh no uh, lady stoneheart showing up there that's how it ends season five as eric mentioned Jon Snow is dead. Season six, Danny and the army heading to Westeros. That's going to be an easy victory, right? Season seven, the wall comes down, and the season eight, the show ends with Jon Snow. As I say, John into the woods. Uh, Jon Snow heading back, uh, kind of full circle uh, with the show there. So those are some of our choices. Um, where do you? What, what, what do you uh, think for the best final scene shot sequence of the show or each season? Uh, I mean, I, I agree with a lot of what Eric was saying. I think that season one, that that first indication, like having not read the books, I didn't know that was necessarily coming with the right. dragons coming back. And it, it's a great moment. It looks great. Like, it, it, you know, the effects are really good and it's well shot. It's a, yeah. it's a great moment. But I, I, my, my, I keep coming back to, I think, season, uh, it's the four. No, mm. five with with Danny and her. No, it's six. <laughs> Danny six. and her army. I knew I was going to do that. Yeah, it's, it's the end of season six with Danny and the Dothraki on the boats heading to Westeros. To me, that was that's the culmination of the whole show. Really, up to that point, we've yes. always been building up to eventually the Targaryens are going to come back, and that it, we're going to have this final fight for supremacy of Westeros, and it's finally happening. And honestly, I think that. It's so good, the lead up to that sequence, that that's why I think a lot of people maybe felt disappointed by what came after. Like, such amazing buildup. And then we get, you know, a few battles. It's 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 cool. There, there is yeah. a lot of good stuff to come in season seven and eight. But I don't know if what we got, the payoff is equal to the sort of grand six season setup that we had for that, that culminates in that moment of, you know, we've been told over and over again, the horse lords don't, yep. they don't sail over water. They won't get anything. We see it finally happening. Dragons overhead. It's like the full force of Danny's army is amassed finally. Yeah. Uh, uh, in that, in that big moment. 
I I think I, I think that's a great point about that. Um, again, no, no matter what you you love or don't like about season seven or eight, if if you're listening or watching, like great things came after, big questions came after, all those things. I think you're right. We always talk about these expectations um, when expectations are built. That's why I the, the I love that Mandalorian season one was just loved all across the board. But I bet you season two you're going to start seeing people be a little disappointed, no matter what the quality of the show is, because now you have expectations. And right. you're so right that all the ship sailing i remember a friend of mine who's not uh, super into the show but he kind of saw it and he, he texted me and he's like but i don't understand man like she's got dra- she's clearly gonna go win and i was like well something's gotta happen that can't be what happens That's right yeah the end of the show is not gonna be like we win <laughs> yeah um so but yeah so it does create this big like oh no and then uh, her her fall, her her destruction, the, the the losses, and and you don't again, yeah, season seven, you're right, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, Victor and Greyjoy uh, just kind of comes in. The battle was maybe underwhelming to some people. Some people really liked it. Um, yeah, I, I can uh, I can get behind that. Yeah, that it, it kind of created some some heavy expectations, but it was great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not the final scene, but the, I think my, one of my favorite finale moments too is Tyrion. I think this is the finale. It's uh, it's Tyrion seeing Shay, killing Shay, and then oh, yeah. killing his father, and then getting the hell out of King's Landing. Like that. That's not the actual final beat of that episode, but well, it's a great closeout to that storyline. And that's a great almost sub question that you know because it's like yeah, that's season four, and um, yeah. I enjoy this. The what I'll say the false ending of season two, which is uh, Danny gets out of the house of the Undying, has the visions, and then they they uh, Zaro Zohandaxis and and uh, um, uh, and uh, Dorea are locked away, and then I love when they're pillaging, and you got Jorah like take all you want, we're going, <laughs> and it's yeah. like, and then it goes down, and to what might be, I still think might be my favorite ending, and we're, I'm, we'll talk about all of them, but I, season two, uh, the third horde blowing, it's, it, it, it it was like a horror movie to me, because they done such a good job of setting that up with exposition, and Sam blinking his eyes, and well, I read it in a, in a, in a book, a third horn is the White Walkers, and it was so in the back of my mind, and then I'm seeing Danny and the ships and, whoa, God, Danny's getting a ship and she's going to go forth. And then suddenly all of a sudden it fades out and fades back into them digging in the snow. And I remember thinking, what the what the hell's going on here? We just got a soft ending of the three guys cleaning up poop, uh, you know, to burn. And that third horn hit and I just got chills all over my body watching. I was like, oh, no. So that one probably grabbed me in the most, though. Yeah, it's it's shocking. It's it you know the the show hasn't. I mean, it opens with kind of a yeah. horror type scene, uh, but they they really weren't leaning that far into the horror in the early episodes. It's where sort of later hard home and whatever, where it became more like there yeah. could be zombies in this show, you guys. But at this yeah. point, it was it was much more subdued. So that yeah. moment is like very chilling and unsettling. Yeah, but again, then that creates a yeah. year of expectations that. It's all wrapped up in that great cold opening, which I talked about last week. I love Jor Mormont saying, we got to get back to the wall or everyone you've ever known will will be dead. Like, I love that. But, yeah, yeah even then, um, uh, some people have some great comments in the live chat here. But uh, the Jon Snow one in season five, him dying, it was a weird thing because the book, we, had, we still haven't gone past that. So there was this, well, maybe George could have killed him, but I never thought at any point the Kit Harrington hair watch, I never 
bought into the fact that he wasn't coming back in some way. But 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 I have to separate that and say that was a pretty good, brave ending of season five. John bleeding out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and I think that it's hard for us sometimes as very online people who keep up with. Right. everything going on and who watch every after show and are on social media, or whatever. Like, I feel like if you were just a ran random TV watching person, right. You might not necessarily be tipped off that like, Oh, he's definitely coming back. Like, I think that moment might legitimately have some shock value uh, yeah. that we are so cynical and follow this stuff so closely uh, you know that we don't we don't experience. I, I mean, I love that. I love that 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 those viewers could, could still exist because sometimes I hope so. I hope they do. I, don't, yeah. I think they do. What's well, like I I, yeah. I I always say back like if there was if I was doing the Force Center podcast back in the early eighties and it was eighty one eighty two and we're leading up to Jedi, I'd be like, well, did you hear Harrison didn't sign a contract for the third movie? And I, you know, then you get would you would get bogged down on that and just not experience the story. So sometimes that's refreshing. Um, but we're, yeah, we're stuck. I, we're, we're too far down the path long. Yeah, no, it's too late for me, but uh, I feel like for, for a lot of other people, they're experiencing this media like yeah. very differently than I am. Like, uh, I feel like there were people who went to see rise of Skywalker who were probably like, wait, the emperor's back. Like that right. happened to somebody. Uh, it did. Somebody had that experience. Not uh, me. Uh, somebody. Yeah. My father, I think one of them, um, famously, my father <laughs> said at the end of uh, episode seven, he, he called me and goes, I think they're leaving it open to more films. Yes, dad. Ah, hey, mine. Um, here's some comments. I, uh, Live, Donna Long says, for a person who was uh, show first, it's John's death. It was the only oh god no death in the series that I that got me. Plus the whole year of if how he'll come back, which led me to the book. So yeah, so Donna Long talking about what we're saying, like you just don't know. This show has shown, you know, uh, if if Sean Bean could be killed off, I mean that never happens. If he's gone, maybe Kit Harrington's not coming back. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's reasonable for somebody who is just experiencing the show as a show and not an online phenomenon. They probably believe that there was a chance John Snow was really dead. Yeah, and I love and Alden Diaz who calls in the show often here. Uh, Alden's a great guy. Uh, I remember talking to friends about how the blood pouring out of John's body and onto the snow was shaped, uh, kind of shaped like a wolf howling, and that's how desperate I was for hope at the moment, which I both love, and then sometimes we all we all have a good laugh about how we look into. Wait, is the is the pommel on the on the, on the sword? Is it oh, is yeah. it blinking? Is it alive? So there's a lot of those kind of things that are, but it's part of the fun, right? Yeah, we we used to get really lost in the weeds and some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's part of the fun. Uh, and this one here, uh, going. I want to talk about end of season seven, talking about expectations. Lawn. The scene that stays with me from all of GOT is the Night King riding the dragons. He breathes blue fl- flames, ice fire, frost fires. We uh, said on the show back in the day, and then all of them walking out of the wall. So I I really do love that moment because for me it was like this is something we've been thinking since almost the beginning right that look that wall has got to come down like they're they're talking about it too much it's too important like at some point and so when it finally happened i still think there was there were some reactions uh, a general reaction this is very generalized of just people saying yeah i guess the wall came down is that what um but i i think it 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 just kind of it gets overlooked because it was such a big moment that we were expecting does that make sense yeah, I mean, I think I think that's there's there's the we've been building up to somehow Danny's going to get this army together and go to Westeros. Yeah. But, you know, you're not exactly sure how it happened. And then there's again, I think that's that's a case of a lot of the hardcore fans 
figuring things out ahead of time and then dampening the moment. Like by that point, we'd had a year of people on the internet being like, ice dragon, it's good. You know, like all their theories about what was going to happen and where it was going to come from and what was. And so I think the moment that you saw them bring the dragon back as an ice dragon, when we saw that blue eye open at at the end of that episode, I think, Already, people had started to put this together. Like that's the dragon that's going to fly and bring down the wall, and yeah. uh, you know. So I, I, th- I think it's a great moment. It's really cool. I think that's a case where, yeah, you can figure some of this stuff out. I mean, stories are logical, and so yes. there's only ever so many logical things that can happen. And if you try to figure out what each of them are, you probably can. Like George R. Martin's a very good writer and a brilliant yeah. guy, but he's not you know, magic. You can't make a plot point that you couldn't guess. Right. Um, So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, I think that if you put your mind to it, a lot of people sort of just jump the gun and figured that moment out. Whereas if you, again, if you were just a person who watched it, like most people watch TV, yeah, you'd be like, oh, crap, that's awesome. That's, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a couple reactions to that. Uh, uh, Lone Wolfpack follows up to his own point there. It was expected, Ken, but the sheer execution of it, it was purely beautiful and eerie at the same time. I loved it. And and I'm like that, too, yeah, where sometimes the story, as Lon's kind of describing here, the story is the story. I want to engage with the story presented, and I want to be just pulled into that moment, whether or not I predicted it four years ago or not, you know, or whatever, and I, I didn't necessarily yeah. do that personally, but, I, yeah. No, that's that's the thing is like, would you as an individual have predicted that? Probably not. It's we're putting the Internet hive mind to it. Yeah. And so if one person predicts it, you hear about it and then it's like you predicted it. Yeah. No, I definitely wouldn't have predicted that myself. I'm not really that good at predicting things I, that happen on TV shows, to be honest. Yeah, me, me too, because I'll follow the emotional threads out as best I can. And then sometimes right. it doesn't where they go. I, I will say what kept me from just totally enjoying that moment of the welcome again was my my personal concern for Tormund and Beric Dendarian, the way that was shot, it wasn't clear what happened to those guys. Yeah. Alden's backing you up like, there. Wait, are Tormund and Beric dead? And they just get no yeah. send off. They just die under the wall. We they, were fine. Yeah. they were Alden Diaz backs you up. This is my main concern with the ice dragon. Finally did appear. It was my main guy. Beric Dendarian would survive that initial attack. Yeah. You got him for a little bit longer and got a, And I thought a pretty damn good ending for Beric Dendarian. Yeah, he gets a hero send off in the yeah. Uh, Heath Jones says, my wife had never seen this show, so she we watched uh, it all leading up to the final season premiering. After the season five finale, she refused to stop watching until she found out what happened next. And that's that's the power, again, of, of, of Jon Snow, the character in, in that moment of we got to go get it. You know, we got to we got to find out. Yeah. Um, uh, final discussion about this point here. Um, uh, season eight. Uh, I had some awesome comments up earlier. Some people really love season eight's ending, which is. The final in the show after everything, after everything's happened again, you might not like it, you might love it, whatever. Um, the final shot, the final sequence is John heading back to where it all started. John in the woods. Um, I know necessarily, uh, you know, not necessarily you've watched it. That's uh, what I'm trying to say, Lon. Uh, you haven't watched it recently. Um, where does you, where do you, that, just that ending alone, forget the rest of the season, just that ending. How do you feel about that right now? I really liked it. I, I think I think it felt right, and I think it felt right as the culmination of John's journey from the first few seasons, where he was sort of torn between: Am right. I a Stark? Am I a member of the Night's Watch? Am I a Wildling? It sort of allowed him to finally like make that call and actually follow through with what with what he felt. And I thought here's what's interesting: Amelia Clark 
recently was talking about how the show wrapped up and how she, how, you know, wasn't a huge fan of all of the decisions D&D made. Yeah. Um, and one of the ones she took issue with was she felt like John, there weren't consequences for John. Like he, mm. he, he, he did this horrible thing that he felt like he needed to do, but he didn't ever have to like pay a price for it. It's just, he did it. It's done. And now he gets to like ride off into the sunset. And I didn't really think of it that way. Yeah. Going to the North and being a wildling isn't really what he wanted at the beginning of the show. He wanted to be a Stark. He wanted to be part of that family. And that's not how it ends for him. That's Sansa gets that ending. He doesn't get that. Like he gets Mm. the ending Arya wanted, but it wasn't really his ideal ending. It's kind of like I have to, uh, to me, it reminds me very much of Frodo. It's like, yeah, yeah. It's I gotta go to the west, you know. Yep. Like it's it's okay. I'm gonna ride off on this boat to with Gandalf and like mm-hmm. it's it's basically it's like a metaphorical death in a way. I uh, yeah no I love what, I love what you're saying. I love I love kind of the different interpretations of that because I always kind of took it as him just kind of like f this y'all made this mess. I did my part. I'm I'm riding off. But also yeah, it, he's it, going to the Grey Havens. Right, I mean, that's yes. what it's not. I don't think it's like. Right now, but in the sense that happily ever after yeah. is that moment. Yeah, he, he might find himself a good spear wife, and he and Tormund are gonna, gonna drink all night, and and he can sleep in in the morning. I guess I don't know, but yeah, I, I never, I, I took it as a nice. Again, I, I think it was John's choice, and I liked the choice, and it was it, it was discovering his. All right, this might be more who I am than maybe what I wanted, but. Again, yeah, there wasn't a, it wasn't the Gungans uh, playing a song at the end of the movie while Peace right. Orb is, is being held off, you know, and that's yeah, right. Phantom I mean, Menace connection I, to Game of Thrones. It, it, yeah, I think it does. It does have that. There's a heaviness. There's a melancholy to it of like, yeah, his normal life is over too. like yeah. he did what he had to do and he made that choice and that yeah. sacrifice. And like, you know, that. Now he's yeah he's gonna like you know ride off into the wilderness. It's not it's yeah. not necessarily like a happy and yeah. Uh, Mario says John lost Danny is separated from his siblings now, and so there's some consequences. Yeah, again, yeah, I, I I I take a little bit of issue with Amelia Clark. Yeah, uh, yeah. wonderful actress did a great job. I take a little bit of an issue with her. <laughs> yes, I do too, sir. Yeah, Don Alonso retired of fighting and retired. Um, uh, long, but it's long... retirement. Retirement yeah. is like kick, but he could go to Winterfell get. A lazy boy kickback. <laughs> it's not that. Yeah, that's a hard life being a wildling living in the the far distant north of the wall. Like, come on, it's cold. Yeah. It's not. It's yeah. It's it's no no RV up there. Stuff. Like it's. It's uh, not like being a lord in Westeros. Kyle McDonough uh, says, "If John is Frodo's, I mean, Torment is Gandalf. Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, real sort of. In, in one way, yeah. <laughs> yeah." Uh, Lone Wolfpack says season eight, he likes season eight's ending, but someone who came in on, on the last season and didn't get to engage with it for all eight years. Some of the impact was lost on me. It was a nice ending. That's a good uh, point. Uh, Alden Diaz comes back with this one. And he says, one of the, one, one of the core reasons I love John riding off into the North is because it beautifully refuted Thorne's words. You'll be fighting their battles forever. He ended up peacefully proving him wrong. That's a great connection back to Alistair Thorne. One of my favorite yeah. grumps in game of Thrones. Kind of not not that Alistair, yeah. Like again, John not necessarily. Yeah, you, uh, Thorn, you're kind of right. So let me go against it. But just kind of works out. I think there's some poetry to that too of the um, of the connection of just like yeah, you're right. I I ain't I ain't doing this anymore. I'm I'm gonna go. Right. Be, but Thorn didn't want me to be a free folk. 
but it's not exactly like Thorne's totally wrong either. Like mm-hmm. Jon Snow is a bastard. He's an outcast. He's yeah. never going to be a part of that world he loved so much, which is what Alistair Thorne was trying to get across to him, like in a crummy, mean-spirited <laughs> way. But that was kind of the whole message is like, you're no, you think you're still like a little lord up here and yeah. you're going to like educate all the rest of us. But you're just, you're a crow now. You're one of us. You'll never be part of that world look, and he man, was right yeah you look this is this you're tapping into why i kind of love stannis a lot and, and people get you know I, i'll gladly take the jokes at my expense for stannis but thorn is i too i don't think he's wrong at any point i think he's an a-hole i think he goes about things the wrong way and i think he's just got some baggage he's got to drop off and he pays for it i even like how he got how he dies i fought i lost i'm dead great but yeah, that's one of the things I love. He is not wrong. And when and when the hour of need arises in Watchers of the Wall, he's there and at times is treated like a hero. I don't I think even I've talked about his leadership uh, speech to John is is something I'd put on my wall <laughs> if I was a boss again. I'm just like, yeah, you know, you, yeah. you gotta do it. So yeah, that but that's that's that goes a little bit to me to goes back to the books, goes back to George of just he's able to create these yeah. complicated characters. Well, Thorne is, I mean, Thorne is unchanged, like book to book to show, like they, they, <laughs> they, they just brought him along and like, yeah, I mean, it's that it's just good world building, good, it, it just thoughtful character like that. That's a hard life that yeah. would make you a hard person that would lend itself to hard people yeah. like, you know, yeah. like it's a, like, yeah, you would be. You would be a cold-hearted, pragmatic realist if you were on the Night's Watch, you know, like, and yeah. I. It, it, it makes sense to me. Well, it's like Benjamin Stark. It'd be harder to turn out like Maester Aemon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, well, it's the difference between uh, you know, uh, um, uh, 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 oh my gosh, uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, was, um, uh, uh, Benjamin Stark. Uh, yeah, and how you know he's he's I love Benjamin Stark, and, and I love the Starks, but he's very much a Stark. But yeah, he's got no he's got no time for Tyr- Tyrion, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah, understandable. Like it's- you know, you're living in a you're yeah. living in a frozen castle at the north of the world, away from all civilization. Everybody's a, a, a you know convict. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, you like prison. Mario Part uh, saying lots of people saying the whole John being a Targaryen uh, was for nothing, but really had a big impact because it was one of the main reasons Danny turned mad because she uh, he refused the romance. Yeah, I I I, I think. Um, yeah, I think, uh, and again, this could be show. We'll see where George takes it. We'll see if he's uh, taking out some uh, white out and changing his manuscript right now. But I, I think John being a Targaryen played out uh, to the way I was satisfied in the sense that didn't, he didn't, he didn't want to be king at this point. Uh, what he thought he might have wanted changed dramatically. And, and it goes into a little bit of what we're talking there, though. Yeah, uh, I mean, I, yeah. also, I also think it's, it's that... You know, it's so much of what the work that Martin does in Game of Thrones, like so much of the perspective of the whole piece as a whole is like, let's take all of these fantasy tropes and this sort of established way of thinking about these kinds of high fantasy stories and just like turn it upside down. So normally the family bloodline heritage secret destiny wedding like that would be the whole story like that that's how the shakespeare play ends you know like well it turns out you're a princess all along like that's what we that's what we expect from all of those stories yeah and so he takes that and it's like this character does they are secret royalty they do have this great prophesied destiny yeah it doesn't work out uh, in, in this, it's not to be, you know. Yeah. No, I love, I love that. I love that take on it. I share that uh, sentiment with you. Uh, not to, um, uh, you know, um, 
dig into a little bit. But Eddie Haskell, uh, who's such a great help. So, Eddie, I want to get to your question here. You asked it earlier in the show. Uh, says, uh, what are some of the biggest either plot holes or unresolved storylines that you thought they'd get back to, but they didn't? Uh, which might be some people might consider that Targaryen one uh, unresolved or resolved from a certain point of view, which I think a lot of them are resolved from a certain point of view, the Obi-Wan kind of speech there. But um, <laughs> anything that stands out now, and this, this, is, this might be a question that takes a little bit more research or rewatching of just things that you were like you were following and didn't get uh, enough of or got just enough and wanted more a thing that i'm curious about in the books and it, 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 as of yet where i'm reading it is not yet a going concern okay. it, it's dorn yeah from a from a tv viewer's perspective I feel like we didn't actually ever need to go to Dorne, and that right. time could have all been like you could have somebody tell me what happened in Dorne, and mm. be like sure, all right, yeah, like and I and and having Ober and Martell come to King's Landing makes sense. I love that character; he has a great important role to play. But I just don't feel like all of these seasons of cutting away to Dorne, and there's this political intrigue there, and you know, like. L, L, like there's the overthrows and who's king and we're following like the line of succession and it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. There's no payoff. Yeah. Uh, the, the the Jamie adventuring down there with Bronn stuff feels very tacked on and unnecessary. And it's just like they never they never brought it around to where I needed to care about what was going on in Sunspear. Yeah. So it sort of feels like well, why were we spending time in Sunspear? I, I, yeah, it's uh, that stuff that even as, uh, as someone as uh, as myself who just loves to just take everything give presented to me and connect all the emotional canon dots and all the things all the things I do in Star Wars too. But it, it, the Dorn stuff, especially because of of how it is vast in the books. Uh, when when you get to book four in you know twenty years uh, long, um, <laughs> most of that book is in Dorn, and it is um, the so I think the show couldn't couldn't ignore it and Ober Martell comes in and Pedro Pascal comes in and does a great job. I think the show was like, yeah, we got to go, but Dorn out of the but, story, like don't mention it or whatever. Yeah. So yeah. Like, you don't, I don't know why we're going there so much. I just think there's, there's so much that they had to leave on the table. You can't help, but kind of feel that I, I'm saying is again, even me, who's just like, yep, I love finding out all stuff there. It's like, yeah, yeah. We could have maybe the, the, it could have done a little different or actually, I think even a little more and, 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 and the Dornish plot again is bigger. Right. Make it feel like it connects to everything else. Like, like I don't begrudge the show spending time in like river run or whatever. Like, like some of these places end up, you know, mattering and it fills out the world. I just don't like Dorn. It seems like was always just kind of this, the hanging chat of game of Thrones. Like, is this, (laughs) what are we doing with this? Is this still a going concern? Uh, One, like, I, I, I just had it. I'll, I'll think of it again. Oh, another I, plot point? Vamp. Yeah. Um, yeah, for me. Like, oh, I got Yeah, it. yeah, go for it. We, we, had always, we had always talked about, and, and I mean, especially, I think, with Melisandre and, and, and her religion and the Lord of Light and all that. We, we'd spend a lot of time on, on a lot of these questions of, mm. you know, like the house of white and black. Like what was going on with with the, the faceless men, and like none of that stuff ever gets even explored. Not resolved because it's religion; you're not going to resolve it. Yeah, yeah. But like, just even like we don't really ever even get to explore any of these mysteries at all. None of it connects to anything else, and it's like that was a little disappointing. You get that that hand wavy moment in the yeah. final season where they're like, 
So what do you think? Is this the Lord of Light real? It's like, nah, we'll never know. What, what's why even talk about? <laughs> I I do agree like, that. Oh, okay, I, I guess. I I uh, that's something I really hope George will go into. And I know he says, you know, we won't go to uh, a shy by the shadow and all those kind of things. But like, yeah, getting a little bit more the Lord of Light. It always seemed to be a little bit of a uh, Lord of Light versus the Great Other. And yeah, and, like who? Yeah. like the 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 Varus sorcerer connection. What are right. all these people are hearing? these voices in the flames and yeah. there's it just feels like there was some revelation like we would get to experience on some level what that's all about yeah look i think and, uh, I, I think you and i you and i more than uh you know going into season eight we you and i i remember having a lot of conversations on and off air about just like you know kinvara telling Varys, you know do you want to know what the voice was telling you there was a lot of that that i i think i i hype myself up for you know yeah, and now, now I mean, and I get, and I get it, and and you tease that stuff, and it's always cooler than whatever the revelation would actually yeah. be. Yeah, but uh, yeah, uh, but you know, like I'd still, I was hoping we'd get a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, like of a of a grand finale in terms of all of that. Yeah, and it all is just kind of left like. Ah, the faceless men. Who knows? The <laughs> faceless men, indeed. Yeah, uh, like hey, yeah, the many faced, the many faced God, the Lord of Life. Ah! Don't worry about. Don't it. worry about that. Yeah, um, maybe George will release another book just called "The Religions of uh, Game of Thrones" or Westeros and Essos, and he just explains it all. Yeah. I mean, I think he's done a really good job of, like, I care because he's done such a good job of shaping all of these different mythologies, and it does feel yeah. interconnected, and it does feel like these are forces that exist, but you can't quite put your finger on how they work, which yeah. is, I mean, that makes sense. Like, that's a, yeah. a good metaphor for, for our actual spirituality on Earth, but yeah, yeah. Uh, it still frustrates me as a reader slash viewer on some level, I'm just like, I would like to, as well as I'm totally full of crap, was there something... Like yeah. obviously, there's some, you know. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, shadow monsters being born. But like, what's the real nature of this power? Is it at, is it is yeah. it beneficial to humans, or is this a dark? magic like even yeah. on that level i feel like we never got an answer yeah i mean i love melisandre's story is one of the most her just her story is, is to me one of the best just full circle or, or wrapped up but maybe so maybe that's some of our answer to your point but yeah again it, it's left open there a lot uh eddie follows yeah. up to his own things is one thing i would uh, want to see or hear more but didn't happen but was talked about is euron and by the way i said victorin earlier but it's euron uh sailed everywhere seen things you couldn't possibly imagine yet the westeros map no one knows what yeah this is the great uh the great unknown that maybe um the journals of Arya Stark traveling west of west is is what we'll one day get you know yeah maybe I mean I, I you're you're on to a character I, I feel like I'm curious to read the book version because uh it, it always felt like there was some really good ideas and fun stuff there and it just never all fully connected but yeah um really that that would be one of my if I was going to be ranting about the the final episode mm. this would be my number one and I think we we've talked about this on this show before right. Yeah. Well, that's a very unsatisfying ending to his story. They, they, they just totally throw in there that he has this rivalry with Jamie Lannister. Right, right, right. We've barely even each. seen them interact before. Just you know, it, it, it just felt it felt like one of those very much like let's come in at the end and pretend that this was what this character was all about. I, I think you'll enjoy not just Euron, but again, Victorin, Greyjoy, and just a lot of the other things. He 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 gets Victorin gets gets way more involved in everything, but I, I don't, yeah. 
I want I want to I want you to enjoy enjoy the Brothers Greyjoy he, when you get there. Tar and Greyjoy isn't even is he in the show? No, is he the no, you're, you're, Euron has uh, Euron. No, Aaron, uh, the Dan the here the Dampier is in it too. He's the other brother, but uh, Victorin yeah, and Euron are yeah yeah Victorin and and Euron are kind of squeezed together a little bit. It's it's, it. it's 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 again some of those. Some of the things you got to do when you're taking these books yeah. and put them down. We are uh, we're almost out of here. Uh, some great questions coming in, uh, and we'll be doing more next week. Um, I think generally I'll be trying to record these shows live when possible. Trying to get Rachel Cushing on because of her current work schedule. Uh, probably might be doing a broadcast a little bit later on a Saturday. Um, but uh, in a way, lawn, it's easier to get everyone together for these shows thanks to the power uh, we have have in our own living rooms. Yeah. It's like the celebrity live streams everybody's doing. Like you can get everybody. Tessa Thompson's just hanging out at home. Just, just have her call in. Just have her call in, and maybe uh, you, me, and Ace. Uh, Man, I'm telling you, yeah. Tessa Thompson's sitting at home right now. Patch her through. <laughs> Patch her through. I'll send her the link. I'll send her the link. Yeah. Or maybe we'll just edit together us singing. Imagine it'll work out fine. <laughs> Lon, uh, thank you so much, uh, as always, for being part of the show, for naming the show. I, I never want to fail to say that because you created the best name out there for podcasts in, in the Game of Thrones world. Um, where, what, are you, what are you doing right now? What are you working? Can they follow you on anything specific or is it just some uh, solid sure. work at Screen Junkies? Uh, no, definitely follow me on Twitter at L-O-N-S is my name over there. Uh, this, especially these days, I'm very chatty. And I have a, I, I write up whole newsletter about streaming tv so if you go oh. to inside.com slash streaming free to subscribe there is a paid version but you don't have to sign up for that right away you can just get it for free uh and i write about you know not game of thrones because it's not on tv right. we'll definitely be covering the fire oh. and blood targaryen show i forget yeah. what they're calling house, it. house of the dragon, dragon. Yeah, yeah house of the dragon you're the, the, the you're the dragon, dragon might work but <laughs> a fine film uh <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, just everything that's going on in the world of streaming TV and the industry. Uh, yeah. So sign up for that. And, and yeah, subscribe to Screen Junkies. Uh, do that and uh, follow Lon and his uh, wonderful new adventures over on the movie trivia Schmodown. Last time oh, I, yes. Last time I actually, I think the last time I actually saw you, Lon, you were in an alley shooting a scene sitting on the I was, the I was yes. Uh, I, my, my, my character now is the delinquent. And oh, originally, yeah. I'd imagine him as like a 50, you know, like the like Welcome Back Cotter, or like a 50s high school movie where there's like yes. the guy at the back of the stop like, up your nose with a rubber hose, teach. <laughs> like, that was my original vision. And I would have like cigarettes rolled up in my sleeve or whatever. But yeah. it's sort of once I mixed up with Christian and Winston, it sort of transformed into this like weird, creepy hobo. Uh, so that's, that's where, that's where I'm sort of at now. Like I look like I'm like riding the rails with like a bindle. I love it. Eating beans right out of the can. Like, carpet it's bag. That thing. Uh, it is the best. You always do great stuff. One of the funniest guys out there. Check him out. Follow him uh, at lawns. Thanks to, uh, thank you to everyone who watched live and anyone listening later on anchor, find the podcast, please listen to it till, uh, to, uh, get us some download numbers. Uh, but we appreciate you guys uh, com- communicating, watching, interacting with us live. It, it adds a special element to the show. You can follow me at Cadnapsock. Go to Cadnapsock.com for information on all the things I do, including my new baseball podcast feed coming out in a couple weeks called Box Score Heroes. And don't forget, you can pick up my book, Why We Love Star Wars, directly from me on the website. Uh, signed copy if you want it. I handle the uh, all the, the, the shipping, so uh, give me a couple weeks as uh, we are obviously delayed. That is it for now. We'll see you all next time on Cadnapsock. Casterly Talk.
All right, buddy. You right. are done, and thank you, my friend. Thank you. Yeah, um, my pleasure. Um, Super fun. No, a lot of fun. Always fun. I, I'm so curious to, uh, yeah, some of the uh, later books. Like when you get to book four, it's <laughs> I'm gonna it's I'm gonna thing. try to get back into the groove. I, I, I did.